following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Okay, our reading this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 11, verses 38 through 57. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. We're grateful for God's word. Only if you give God praise by clapping your hands, it'd be most appropriate. I just want to reiterate that <clears throat> we're grateful for everyone to be here and coming to worship. Sometimes we can take it for granted being here. And this is uh, not everyone's uh, situation. Some people have to, uh, they have to hide where they are to worship. Uh, they cannot do so freely. So we always want to thank God for doing that. And as we come to his word, we also want to thank him that we have his word, a Bible that has been placed before us and translated in order for us to know the intricate
details and mysteries and signs and wonders as to what God has done for us. And when we look at the book of John, that is particularly what we are seeing, God's signs. From John 1.19 all the way to John chapter 12.50, it's called the book of signs. And seeing that it is the book of signs, many of us would only read and maybe we marvel at what Jesus has been doing. But we don't necessarily see the real effects or even feel it as much as those that were present at that time. And so we don't want to take that for granted. And when reading these texts and understanding them, what I want to do, because I'm only a human being with limited knowledge and limited ability to communicate, and I'm not that intelligent, and far more people are more intelligent, I just want to allow us to all worship God as we see what he says through his stories, through his narratives, and through his life. And as we do that, let us go to God so that he can inform all of us, not just me, so we can continue to worship him in this moment and this time together. Amen, somebody? Father, you have been sung about and prayed to from all of us. We're reminded of how powerful you are. We're reminded on how wonderful you are. We're reminded that you understand us and you're bigger than any doubt or fear. You're not an insecure God. We don't have to do things in order for you to feel better. You're God and all, and you're God all by yourself. There are other gods that they need their people to do things for them. They need their people to perform more for them. But Lord, you say you don't need us to perform. But yet, it is a privilege and an honor to sing before you, to worship and adore you, and to open your word knowing that you will speak to us. So we say, speak, Lord, as your servants listen. A lot of words of our hearts, of our mouths, and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer. All God's people said together. When you, beloved, look at the news, I tend to get the new, the New York Times, and I tend to read Wall Street Journal on my phone. Uh, when you get it, the headlines are there in order for you to read. There's nothing there that's saying that is going to be lackadaisical and cause you not to be interested. You're going to see bombs, buildings dilapidated, people struggling, all in which give you a picture through media, whether you look at nightly news, whether you look at CNN or Fox News, whether you read the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, whatever, or you read the Memphis Business Journal, whatever you're reading, oftentimes you're not reading it with the fact that it is going to give you unwavering hope. I hope, though, that when we read our Bibles, we read our Bibles understanding that it is not the New York Times, it is not the Nightly News, it's not Wall Street Journal, it's, it's not something that is going to possibly give you hope. It is not something that is going to leave you hopeless. 
It's, it's like your favorite movie. It's like your, your favorite show in which you watch, and you already have watched it a million times, and you know the outcome of the movie. All of those who love Marvel, all of those who love whatever superhero movie or whatever comic you love, you have read it, you have watched it, and you, even before it gets to the end, you know, I know the story. I, I know the end of the story. And beloved, that is what the Bible helps us to see Christ as victor, not leaving us hopeless. But yet, when I look at the news, I do see economic instability. I, I, I see that inflation is on the rise, and the president is saying we're not going into a recession, but other people are saying, no, he needs to be aware we're going into a recession. And then you, you look at that the overdose rate, drug overdose rate, has gone up over 40% in places of people of color, but around all of the nation, but particularly 40% more than others drug overdose throughout the last couple years. People are dying in un, unprecedented, rate, unprecedented rates. We all know, each and every one of us know that there is a pandemic. Still, there is the coronavirus, and then we have monkeypox. I mean, the news reminds us every single day that there is chaos going on. I mean, I can feel hopeless, and I'm certain you can feel hopeless, but when I open my Bible before I read my newspaper, what happens is I know what happened in Genesis chapter 1, but I also know what happened at the end of the book, and he comes back. He's our Savior, and when we recognize that he is our Savior with the ultimate idea in which he will rescue us, it then changes our minds. Brother Brennan, we no longer come to church thinking to ourselves or open our Bibles thinking to ourselves, the end of the story is chaos. The end of the story is hopelessness. No, we come ready to worship because we know the end of the story is victory. For everyone that believes, so therefore, Jesus comes as the Savior, offering saving faith for those that will believe. So the big idea, the reason I, I kind of set it up that way is because what I want you to know is that Christ has given us a saving faith, so we must live. Not that, I, don't want, I didn't want to leave that, that part there as if it was ambiguous, that we might live, we may live. No, we must live like people of hope who understand the glory of God, who looks forward to the glory of God. If you come to worship and you come to Jesus looking for him only to meet the needs that will satisfy you for a moment, beloved, your hope will always be wavering because Jesus is not here just to meet the needs that you desire. We all struggle with belief. We all struggle with doubt and despair in our faith. We do. And some of us have experienced many who have fallen away from believing in God due to deconstructing their faith or dealing with issues that they felt as if the church was mute on. Beloved, a lot of times when I talk about the church, I talk about it because I believe we are a family. And I know about 
the family business. A lot of times I'm not concerned as to what else goes on in terms of critiquing. Therefore, it's no reason for me to get on Instagram and put a post up and hope everybody else is going to be intrigued by my post. There's no reason for me to get on Twitter and, 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 and try to wow people about what I am saying. There's no reason to do any of that. The thing is, I'm not here to pontificate as to what might be. I want to convince you that Jesus died for you. And that the signs and the miracles and the wonders that we read in the Bible are, are there for us to believe. I believe when we look at our text then, as we unfold that big idea that we must live with the glory of, uh, live in the glory of God, what happens is we ought to know how to discern God's signs. We, are, we got to know how to discern the signs of God. And then we got to know that that saving faith, he's given it to us so that we can confront our doubts. We're going to talk about how doubt and faith, how sometimes they're right there. You can have faith and still have doubt. Doubt is trying to snuff out that faith. And then when you look at how we ought to live with saving faith, we ought to doubt of ourselves. We see that in the Bible consistently. Beloved, so when we come to our text this morning, the first point of discerning the signs of God, it doesn't necessarily mean we got to live in the jungle to see the works and the wonders of God. Some of us can be and have been pretty much, uh, we, we, we've been brought, we have been censored to the point to where we don't look for God to do signs. We don't look for God to do wonder. And if we do, we look for it in the way that we want to look for it. What I want to do this morning is show you how to discern what God has been doing, is doing, and will continue to do. So the first question is, well, then how does saving faith help us to discern the signs of God? There are two theological terms that we use, and you can call them whatever you would like to. But people use it in order to understand how they, they would put these things, revelation, into perspective. Because you got to remember, God is always trying to reveal himself to us. A lot of people call it general revelation. Everybody say general revelation. And what God is doing through general revelation is when you go outside and you look at the moon and you look at the stars and you, 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 we're putting together constellations and then we see a shooting star. When we see the trees or something grows and sprouts out of the ground or for those that love the garden and you, you have your garden together and you see how living things come from you planting seeds and cultivating those or when you look and when Jesus uses the analogy look at the birds and look at the lilies I look at how they only look for God to do what? Give them the wisdom. We learn wisdom from God is always going to provide for every aspect of creation. We know that general. People sometimes call it natural revelation. God is revealing himself every time you go out and do this. You just sang it. You have breath. I ain't going to sing it for y'all. Yeah. It's through your lungs, right? God is revealing that I, I, I give you oxygen to breathe. You're not suffocating. Natural revelation, then special revelation. A lot of people don't realize that when you are in Muslim countries, and uh, those that have come to know Jesus that are Muslims, uh, Nabil Koresh, who passed away, he was an apologist, 
a lot of Muslims have dreams when they are converted to Jesus. God could be speaking to you through dreams, special revelation. God can be speaking to you through visions, not when your stomach is growling. God can speak to you through prophecies. We see Caiaphas is already prophesied even though he doesn't believe. General revelation and special revelation help us to understand that God is revealing himself every single time. So then when we get to our text and we see that Jesus is deeply moved again and he removes the stone and Martha says to him, uh, Jesus, if you were here four days ago, this wouldn't have happened. Mind you, if you backtrack to where uh, Pastor Sergi was preaching last week, right at the end of the verse, Martha is dealing with the fact that theologically, she understands what God, who Jesus is. She said, yeah, I know that at the end of the day, resurrection is happening. The advent is happening. You're coming again, so that's, yeah, my brother will come back. Jesus is saying no, because in verse 4, I told you, this illness does not lead to death, but it is for the glory of God. And so then when, when we see here, Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, everybody, if you just like to mark under your Bible, believe, that is a consistent thing throughout the book of John. We keep pointing to John where he, in chapter 20, where he is acknowledging the fact that Jesus had did many more signs, many more wonders that he can even write about, but he is writing them in order for us to, y'all say it, believe. Therefore, when he then, when we look at this narrative and Jesus is then lifting his eyes to the Father, he's praying, look at the prayer that he prays. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this, not on my account so I can believe. I said this on the account of people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. So the picture in which we are to have is that God then revealing himself <coughs> in Jesus through the works in order for us to believe. We got to ask ourselves then, what, what was Martha dealing with? What was she trying to understand? It, it was the fact that Martha was still trying to get to know God as a pastor, as a spiritual leader. It's those that trying to lead the people of God on this journey to when Jesus will come back. You know what? My goal is not that all of you will be puffed up with knowledge, that you will know philosophy and you will know Western ideologies and you will know how to deal with every single issue. No, that is impossible. My job is to make sure that you believe and get home safely. And Jesus is, is, is doing that with Martha by, tell, by telling her, this is a resurrection. This is, this is, I am the resurrection. What you are seeing is a sign of, what me, of who I am as the resurrection. Then what does that mean for us as we deal with trying to discern what God is doing in our lives or how he is revealing himself? Every sign of God that God tries to reveal his purpose, it, it, it can simply be through childbirth. When you didn't believe you can have a child. 
and, and then when you were 40 years old as a married couple, you, you had your 50 years old, you had your first child. A couple of weeks ago, we were sitting with some missionaries who were actually doing missions in France, and they were in their late 40s. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, you don't have no kids, don't have no more kids at this certain time, right? And, you know, when you had it in your mind, when somebody says, oh, yeah, we're pregnant and we're 48, you're like, whoa. You know, oh, was that an accident? No. He said, we actually prayed for this. And he, said, and he said it was a sign from God. So the, the reality, beloved, then how do you discern signs of God? Kids, when you're at school and, and your teacher uh, loves on you or cares on you, cares for you because you kind of feel outcast. You feel like, you know what, I'm not with all of the cool kids, but, but your teacher reminds you that you're a child of God because she's a believer. It's a sign from God. God consistently does it. It's not just when you, you are texting and driving, right, and you know you were almost about to run into the next person or run the light. I'm going to say there was a sign from God. But you get what I'm saying. When you see and understand that cancer is actually all in your body, but then you go to the hospital And the doctor says, I don't see it anymore. It's a sign from God. See, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says, by faith, by faith. Discernment means you need to have substantive faith. It says, by faith, what happens? We understand the universe was created by the word of God. Therefore, a sign of God is when you read your Bible. You open it up, and God is right here speaking to you. That's what the text is saying. And then he goes on to say, so that what is seen may not be, may not, uh, was not made out of things that are visible. When you look at Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Here lies the issue with discernment. When our faith is only in our accomplishments, when our faith is only in our ambitions, when our faith is only when our children act right, because even though that I'm a pastor, my kids may act a fool. Point blank, period. That is not my goal in life. That is not my faith. Even when he or she walks away out of the relationship or your marriage, it's not bent on your faith. That's not substantive enough. Faith in politics, faith in whatever you place, it's not substantive enough. None of these things will save you. None of these things we can stand on. Therefore, they do not help us discern God. But I'll use a I'll use a statement that Augustine used, the church father, the North African church father. All truth is God's truth, though. Every aspect of truth is God's truth. Therefore, whenever we see God working and acknowledging him working, we ought to note that it is a sign from God. So then you say, well, Mike, I I know I'm going through some things, and, and I don't believe I've been seeing any signs from God. 
no matter how you try to help me discern this matter, I don't believe that I'm seeing sign, any signs from God. The next point is saving faith actually helps us confront our doubts. Polar Express, many of you have issues with Santa Claus. I understand. I knew it before I was even going to use this illustration. It's not about Santa Claus. Okay? I just like Polar Express. <laughs> and we, I forced my son to watch it in 3D right before, right, like after Thanksgiving. And we did the whole dress up in pajamas and stuff like that. And he didn't like it. But, but here's the reality. What I didn't know is Polar Express is a parable about faith, hope, and love. So when a little boy, if you remember Polar Express, the bell rolls to his feet and he picks it up, he can never hear the bell ringing. But what were the two words that he said? He's shaking it. He's shaking it. He's shaking it. Then he looks at it and he sees himself and he closes his eyes and he says, I believe. I believe believe. Then he shakes it, and he hears the bell ringing. Beloved, if I, if I were to stretch that just a little more, I know whatever that proverbial bell is, you can't hear it probably. May not, it may not be right now. So there's so much doubt. But I wish I would have picked one of my son's bells up and just start ringing it and made it a little bit more powerful for y'all. But next thing you know, when you say, I believe when my child is going through, I believe even though that I, I just don't know how these things are going to work out. I, I believe when I just lost my child, Fred. I believe when I just walked into the hospital room and next thing you know, they tell me there are all these complications. She's not here anymore. That's, that's my story. I believe when next thing you know, when I'm walking into the school and every single time things are crazy, administration in Shelby County Schools are seem like they're unsettled and then, you know, I'm trying to figure out where to send my child. Kids may have and carry guns and violence is rampant and drugs is rampant, but I believe and next thing you know, you begin to hear not just the ringing, but the voice of God. And the voice of God says, what did you say? He said, I believe and he speaks right through this. So then, when you, when you see it dealing with your skepticisms, naturally our hearts will not believe in God, and that's why we have to continue to make sure that when God is providing protection, when God is providing in situations where it is seen and unseen, we need to know that the father of lies will use deception just to cause us to interrogate what God is trying to do to reveal himself. You don't believe me, I got Bible. I remember when I was coming up in the church and the preacher would say, and the Bible says. The Bible says this. When you look at when Jesus tells Lazarus to come out, verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did. What the Bible say? Believed in him. Seen what he did and they believed in him. God confronted their doubts. He confronted their fears. He made them believe through the works that he was doing. But, beloved, and, and see, this is why I know some of y'all, especially kids, y'all listen to me, and y'all be like, oh, I still don't understand what he's saying, and I don't believe. 
And some people who are struggling and walking through their faith, whether you're looking on YouTube or whatever, he talking and I don't believe what he's saying. I get it. There were some people that had that same issue. It says verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what do we, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs, many. They even affirm what John has already said, many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. All right, let me work this out then. When we see that everyone will believe in them, what is Caiaphas saying? What are the Jews doing? There is, there is context around this historically. I don't want to put y'all to sleep, but Caiaphas has been a high priest, the longest high priest at the time. They were afraid of the Romans taking them over. There were several different political messiahs, which remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ essentially means Messiah, anointed one, that had come and said they were deliver, they would bring power, they had resources, etc. Caiaphas already prophesied, next verse, what Jesus would do and that he would have to die. Therefore, when they say everyone believe, everyone will believe, no matter what happens? Paul already said this. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's that the Bible. The Bible interprets the Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. That's what it's saying. Therefore, when the narrative goes on, here's what's important and what I really want you to walk away when it deals with confronting your doubts. They don't deal with confronting what they, what they doubted. Although they seen various different things, and although they were afraid that the Roman government, because remember, Pilate, Acts, I mean, not Acts, eight, chapter 18, 38, what does he say? I don't see, you know, what, he asks Jesus, what is truth? And Jesus explains and pontificates, and he said, I don't find any guilt, find any fault in this man. 19, chapter 19, I'm going to release him. No, we want to crucify him. So then, when we look at what, it, what we're dealing with here, what happens is people don't want to give up what they've been holding on to. Caiaphas, Pharisees, the Sanhedrin council had power. They had authority. They can interpret the scriptures and, and things around them and add to the Bible to make it say whatever they'd like it to say. Although they did had, they had legitimate cause to say, we don't understand this Messiah, but when he works and does miracles and signs and says that he's the son of God, there's proof there. So then, it, it, we have to ask ourselves, Mike, how does this practically work out for us? When I know you've given us this, religious leaders, they fear power, but what is it that you fear that will cause things to diminish in your life? In other words, what power are you afraid to give up that causes you not to confront the doubt? That causes you not to have faith in Christ alone, in his scriptures alone. It was Dr. Alistair McGrath. He says this, somehow, so, so how does doubt become unbelief? Unbelief is the decision to live your life as if there is no God. It is a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ all that, and all that he stands for. But doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of faith. It is a wistful longing to be sure of the things in which we trust. But it is not and need not be a problem just because I can't prove my faith in God does not, doesn't mean that it is wrong. 
So doubt comes in to creep in to do what? It tries to snuff out our lifeline to Jesus. He's not hearing you right now. You've been praying about this same thing for years. He hadn't answered it, Alex. So you know what? How can he be God? How can he be real? One of my best friends, his wife came to him and said, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. Both of us went to seminary together. I've seen, I've seen God actually do signs in their life by delivering their children who they could have lost in child, childbirth or the mother in childbirth. But today she professes because of all of the suffering that she had been through, all of the suffering that she continues to see, how can God then exist? And it leads to unbelief. Doubt festers to try to snuff out faith. So then what do we do? We need to believe more. I have faith that is substantive, that does not give in, that does not weigh in or falter. I believe in Jesus and him crucified, dead and buried, risen from the grave on the third day, giving me eternal life with all power in his hand. I believe. So that, that, that helps us, beloved, because when you understand what Satan tries to do, spiritual warfare is no joke. Satan doesn't try to throw fiery darts at you. Satan doesn't try to just send somebody with a nine millimeter and put it to your head and ask you, do you believe or not? That's not what we're dealing with right now. Some people are. That's not what you're dealing with. That idle mind and idle time how often you drink, how often you smoke, how often you try to beat yourself up, how often you find your release through pornography, how often you try to find your release through looking at other women and in in, in men in a, in, a, in a very subjective way, how often you do those things, what happens is doubt creeps in. You, you love that more than you love him. You love her more than you love him. You love, you love your career. You love, you love the platform. You love all of these things more than you love him. Here's what happens. You have to say, Jesus, I believe in you so much. Everything around me, remember, Jesus is standing among people. He prays that everybody believes around him. Everything around me is telling me not to believe, Lord. But help me as I put this newspaper down, as I turn the TV off, when I look at your scriptures, help me to believe in you. Help me to call on your name. Give me the strength to do it, Lord, because I don't know when Psalm 119 says, I hide thy word in thy heart, and that I might not sin against you. I know sometimes I don't want to hide it in my heart. I know sometimes I want to believe more in these issues of justice and issues of, of deconstruction, more than I want to hold on to the Bible. But, but God, I know that there is something that is amazing about you, something that's powerful about you, something that is sustaining and life-lasting about you that will cause me to believe in saving faith as opposed to any other faith that is causing me to believe in him. See, many of y'all know I, we, we went to Greece, right? Me and my family, we were with these missionaries. And so we went to the Acropolis. And when we went to the Acropolis, we seen how people built something incredibly beautiful. But when I'm listening to the narrative, right after she had told us where Paul had preached right there at, at, at the hill, uh, Mars Hill, Acts 18, we see the goddess of Poseidon. I mean, the god of Poseidon. We see the goddess Athena, which is what the city is named after, Athens. When Paul goes and preaches, 
They said, we never heard about this resurrection. So you're talking about something we never heard. Tell us what you heard about. Beloved, the way that you confront your doubts is you tell people what you didn't heard about. I said, I had to say it the way, what you done heard about. You tell people about the very God that has brought you from here to here and is consistently taking you on that continuum right over to the end which he will come again, beloved. Then how, what does saving faith mean when, we, when we're dying to ourselves? My, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make this really easy because, you know, a part of discipleship, a lot of what we are discipled in, we'll die for, period, point blank, period. But here's the thing, you know, when, when you think about what you're discipled in and when I'm saying that we ought to just die to ourselves, it means the very thing that you believe is true and real, sometimes and you're holding on so much, you just need to give it up, die to it. Give it to God. We just sang about that, by the way. Give it to God so that he can do the work in your life. He brings dead things back to life. So when he says, pick up your cross and follow me, give up, give up your life and take up my cross and so that you can walk with me, Jesus is not just making some up. Because we know that we all hold on to so many things in life. We hold on to comfort. We can't lie about that. Some of us don't want to live in some of the most difficult areas in this world. Some of us don't want to go, go out and, 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 and have to uh, work at McDonald's or work at somewhere else, making minimum wage at $8. And now they didn't raise the price now, so some people want to work there, actually, because it's signing bonus. But, but here, y'all see what I'm saying? You don't, sometimes you don't want to go work somewhere where you feel as if I'm, I'm only going to make ends meet. So what do you do? You go to college. You educate yourself. Some of y'all, some of y'all is like, you know, I just work hard. I didn't go to college. I just, I kind of just did my own thing, and God made a way, et cetera, et cetera. All of which you work so hard for. But what if God takes it away? How do you die to yourself when God takes your child away? You've been waiting for that baby for so long, and he takes your child. And you're listening to the preacher, because all four of your pastors was in this sweaty church yesterday, but we were supporting the Isom family. And we, we, when you listen to the preacher, I even wrestle, y'all. We know that God takes all the life, and he, you're with him. This is what the Bible says. But it's hard to die when you've worked so hard. But this is what I remember when I'm dying to myself is that Jesus is present every single time. And when he gave it to me, whatever he takes away, I'm going to be all right. That is what the Bible teaches him. He won't put more on you than you can bear. Cast all of your burdens unto him. So dying to yourself, confronting your doubts, those are the hard things that help you to discern the signs of God. So when we come, I can, I can, now I can end this sermon and I can tell you, Revelation 21, no more sorrow, no more death, no more sickness, no more pain. We can shout about that, beloved, but I want this to be stuck in your mind the entire week on how you're going to discern the signs of God. That when you look at this table, 
This is for you. And what Jesus did was die, not so that you would have the best life. You may struggle to endure, but that you may have faith in him. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, ask God, and he gives it to you generously without reproach, and he will give it, and it will be given to him. Verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he or she will receive anything from the Lord. He or she is a double-minded man, unstable in all their ways. Beloved, I'd rather be a fool on this earth to people, but hold on to the wisdom of God so that the faith that he gives me helps me to live a life that will honor him. So then when we see our Savior, he will then say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, we love you. You've given us faith. You've given us hope. You've given us love. And your table is a testimony of that. We ask now, Lord Jesus, that you do the mighty work of coming alongside of those that are doubting their faith right now, don't know how to discern where you are, and have trouble giving up everything that they have. So that, Lord, they may have faith in you and in you alone. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord. All God's people say together, amen. Proclaim his wonders because you are a sign of the life that God has given you for eternity. And let us proclaim it as we receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Go in peace, beloved. Amen.